again or should I just start for now? Yeah, yeah, go, go whenever you like, yeah. Yeah. I'm Rachel Johns, best-selling author of contemporary women's fiction and rural romance from Perth, Western Australia. And I'm Sophie Green, also a best-selling author of contemporary women's fiction from Sydney, New South Wales. On this podcast, we talk about writing, about stories, about anything related to books that comes to mind. And we might even play agony aunts to writers who have a problem to solve, and readers can send us those too. Mostly we just like to chat to each other. And we hope you'll listen while we do. So we've made it to our second episode of episode number two. Hello, Rach. How are you? (laughs) We need some sound effects. Like, yeah. cheers, God. I'm, good. <laughs> I'm really good. I'm in Melbourne, so I'm actually on the same time, um, in the same time zone as you for a change. <laughs> yes, because normally you are in Perth, um, yeah. and uh, at the moment, Perth is three hours behind. Yes, it's funny because yesterday I came to Melbourne from Brisbane and I rang my mum and said, Why aren't you going to the thing that you usually go to? She's like, It's, I'm not going for another hour. I was like, Oh, yeah, I forgot that. I've been in Brisbane and now I'm in Melbourne. So <laughs> Yeah, I think for you in particular, it's a bit of a washing machine of time zones. Yeah. Why can't Australia just all be one time zone? Like that's what I want to know. <laughs> why can't the eastern seaboard be one time zone is a question. Yeah, that, would at least, that would at least be help, helpful. I do feel for the people who live on the border of New South Wales and Queensland. I've met a few of them over the last, you know, because some work on one side, live on the other. And, yeah, that would just be, I don't think I could deal with it. I actually don't think I could. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. And and also it blows my mind a little bit that Northern Territory and South Australia are currently on different different times. Yes, yes, they're in the same. They should be. Yeah, it's not right. <laughs> All right, there you go. We're mandating an end to it. But tell me how has yeah. your publicity for The Other Bridget been because you have been on the trail and The Other Bridget is your latest book. Tell us yeah. about it. And we actually met in person for the first time. Did. Um, last Monday night. Yeah. No, it's been better than I could have imagined. Um, everyone's been so lovely and receptive of this book. And um, yeah, I haven't actually, because it's been, it's quite full on. I've had most days two events and sometimes events in different states <laughs> on the same day. <laughs> so, um, and a bit of travel and stuff. But yeah, so apart from the time thing, dressing, messing me out, um, I haven't felt too tired, touch wood. So um, yeah, it's been it's been really good because I can actually just enjoy uh, talking to people about the book and thinking about the book, um, and then having some nice peaceful quiet time in the hotel room in between, which is my absolute. Well, I shouldn't say it's my favourite t- part of book tours. So <laughs> reading the readers are is, is of course, <laughs> but it's very nice as someone who lives in quite a hectic house to have have time alone in hotel rooms yeah I can imagine um because running a household is a lot of work and it's seven days a week so this is so you can just sit back and not worry about you know anyone or anyone else yeah it's good Uh, and of course you have readers of your own books but you also run the Rachel Johns online book club so from what I've been seeing on your social media there are some people coming from the book club there I'm sure they're also your readers but there are some coming as well no definitely I think we did your book was it last year or the year before time goes so quickly I think that's when we first like had a zoom chat yeah yeah possibly yeah so yeah the Rachel Johns online book club which I run with my friend Anthea Hodgson We've almost got 6,000 members now and, yes, almost without fail, there is always at least a couple to quite a big group of members of the book club come along to events, which is always is always lovely because it's it feels like such a 
community so to actually meet people in person that you recognize their name or their face from from having chatted in the book clubs is just really special how long have you been running that book club almost six years I think (laughs) um yeah it started I'm trying to think exactly I know because my friend Anthea's book came out I did her second book the cowgirl in April and similarly to how we sort of um, you know, started chatting a bit after that. Uh, I think that after uh, she came along to, because she lives in WA, I did her book for the first, like the fourth month or something. And previously before then, I'd just been like sitting on Facebook, chatting to myself. I mean, people were interacting in the comments, but, you know, I was talking all doing all the talking. Um, and then because um, she lived in WA, I said, oh, do you want to come along and actually you know, let's chat about your book face to face. So she came. I didn't really know her that well before then. We did know of each other, but it was so much better talking with somebody else on the screen, you know, and being able to have a chat and conversation. And so it depends who you talk to, um, how you, that you, this this went apparently. But I think I told her she was she was not leaving, and that from now on she was running it with me. And she thinks she told me that she wasn't leaving, and from right. now on she was running it with me. So. One of us thrust the other foot. Yeah, anyway, but it's been amazing. I've met great readers. I've met other like, authors. Um, so, yeah, that that's just been something. And I didn't um, actually ever, like literally I thought about it one day and started it that same day. Right. <laughs> so it, was, it, wasn't very, it wasn't planned very well. So, you know, yeah. And for anyone who's not a member of your book club, what happens in the book club? Okay, so you can find us on Facebook. Just look up Rachel John's Online Book Club. Um, we do have one month book. We choose a month to chat. So very much like a, you know, most regular book clubs, um, except ours is online. Um, and we mostly choose, what we do now is we um, we always choose our books a year kind of, well, or some a year and ahead because we ask all the fiction publishers in Australia in about October, you know, what have they got coming next year so that we can launch the whole year, um, which means that we haven't chosen necessarily books that we know we're going to love. We focus on ones that sound interesting, but also um, ones that uh, are often by debut authors or early kind of emerging authors. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all Australian, pretty much all women. Um, and then we, Anthony and I chat about that book at the end of each month. And we also put uh, 10 questions in the group where people can answer. And the, yeah, it's a live chat. So it's very interactive with the people in the group. But apart from that, it's just become this place where people chat about books, you know, the whole month through. They they recommend books they're reading. They ask, you know, it's not all, obviously it's not a nasty place, but it's a reader group. So if it, and we do have plenty of authors in there, but it's it's there's no author promo. And if a reader posts something, you know, say they go, which they would never would because Sophie's books are all amazing. But you know, say they said, oh, I've just read, you know, Sophie's The Fairvale Ladies Literary Club, and I didn't really like this character. We won't, we will post that out on there, even if they say something bad about mine or Anthea's books, because it's a reader forum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, and also the fact that you're supporting emerging authors is fantastic because it is hard for them to get space. Often in the in the more commercial fiction space, I think there's probably more opportunity for literary authors. When yeah, I definitely think that's the case. You know, there's more uh, media in sort of special, serious newspapers, as we've said, and best book festivals. You know, yes. literary fe- uh, literary authors are often invited to talk at writing and reading festivals where us commercial authors, you know, 
it, it's a lot in especially the big city ones you, you I mean have you been invited to any of the big city ones once uh once for Fairvale on a panel yeah um, and I'm I'm sure you're about to tell me that you either never have or rarely have which considering how popular you are just boggles I've my mind. been invited to Perth twice this is my second year in like and I'm um so I've never been invited to Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane or Sydney, any of the, you know, big ones. Actually, I was talking to a literary agent in Australia last night online and I'll say they so we don't. Um, like <laughs> they were um, saying, oh, maybe I'll see you in Sydney at the Sydney Writers Festival. I laughed. I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't get invited to those type of festivals. And they were horrified. Um, so, yeah. Well, because I mean, it is horrifying. I'm sure you've been invited. I've been invited to smaller festivals and the biggest one I've probably been invited to was once was Byron Bay Writers Festival, which was amazing, um, and that's pretty big. Um, but I've been invited to lots of smaller, you know, country town festivals and, and they're always amazing and I love them a lot because, you know, you often get to meet other authors on a much more sort of, that sounds intimate's probably the wrong word, I'm not talking about <laughs> but, you know, like it, the bigger festivals I imagine there's so many people and stuff, whereas you know, there might be five or six authors invited to a small festival. And mm. so you really get to sort of properly meet those authors as well. So I, I like that. So have you been to those types? No, I don't tend what? to get invited to festivals. I've been invited to, I actually, I remember now, I was um, on a, a Byron Bay Writers Road Trip, but both of the, my festival appearances were around Fairvale. So I haven't been invited yep. to anything since. Uh, and you know, well. festivals, but it's just, I also think it's it's not honouring readers in a way. Like there have yeah, been so yeah. many readers who I'm sure would love to turn up to see you mm. at a festival, not, not a panel because you should have a session all to yourself. It's but just, also you know. I think, I think um, like I saw one year at a writer's festival in Perth that I wasn't, I wasn't there. I just went as a reader. Um, my friend Fiona Palmer and I went to see Di, uh, Di Morrissey speak. Yes. And, you know, Di Morrissey is a very successful commercial women's fiction author in Australia, right? It's been publishing books for probably 30 years, I'd say. Um, a lot of people buy her book as the big Christmas book for their mum or their sister or, or whatever. And so we went to this lunch thinking that it would there would be, you know, 100 or so people there. And there was just a handful of people there. And afterwards at the signing queue... You know, you always have a big, long, massive queue. And I'm not trying to be a reverse snob and um, say, you know, that the literary authors or the debut literary authors don't deserve a spot as well. But you often have all the nonfiction, you know, about something. You often have this long, massive queue. Um, and then next to it we had Di Morrissey, you know, some unknown person has a long, massive queue because they've written on some, you know, topics that's perceived as being you know serious important or whatever um and then Di Morrissey had a couple of people and we were like just blown away and she said Rach and Fee this is not our place in our place are the bookshops and the department stores you know and and she's right a lot of the as much as it would be nice to be able to speak about some more commercial fiction at readers festivals and you as you said the readers would like that um you know, a lot of those literary authors and stuff, that's literally where they get their sales. That's so true. it's yeah. different, yeah. But it's still still a bit of a touchy thing. 
Well, and also, you know, Di Morrissey is so interesting in so many ways, quite yeah. apart from her novel. So even just to, to hear her yeah, talk about been. her life. Yeah. Yeah, and she was. It was a fantastic lunch and we felt very, you know, privileged to be so, in such a small group that you could, like, really you know, hear her and that, but it was just shocking to us, yeah. Um, yes, uh, look, writers' festivals are a topic I could probably go on about at length, but... Yeah, yeah, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't planning on, like, speaking yeah. about writers' festivals, but here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, yeah, we could we could sit here going, oh well, you know, we're not being well, taken no. seriously as writers <laughs> because people think we're not writing about serious issues. We know that's not true. I tend yeah, to yeah. think nothing about to do with us as writers so much as it is about who they think the readers are who so are coming true. to festivals. And yeah, and think Di's got a point. Yeah, our readers are in bookshops, they're not coming to festivals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're reading the books on the weekend instead of like <laughs> Going around, <laughs> and we love them for it because they're voracious. So yeah, many of exactly. readers, and, and they're time passionate. to laugh about it um, at festivals. <laughs> that's that's absolutely. You, you're touring the country, Rachel. You certainly don't have time. <laughs> Um, so I should also say for those of you who are watching this on video I've got wet hair because it's Sunday morning and I've been playing tennis and I've had a shower and oh your hair looks gorgeous I would not um (laughs) if my hair was wet it would be an absolute disaster (laughs) well it's also because it's uh Sydney's very humid at the moment it could take about 12 hours for my hair to dry so yes (laughs) yes I remember being there last week and feeling that (laughs) in Queensland yeah so one thing that came up when I saw you at your event in Sydney earlier this week was that you mentioned something that I, I talked to you about talking about in this podcast because it was just too interesting a coincidence to not explore, which was that you revealed during the Q&A um, with Josh Hortonella uh, from Dimmicks who was doing it with you that you are the product of an affair yep. and so am I. <laughs> so uh, that is crazy I actually I think I know one other person apart from you now who is the product of an affair I don't know about you how many do you know I will I I I can't say I've I've met any others and also I should say I mean I'm sure there's plenty I'm I'm sure there are but so I'm adopted um so I my biological mother and biological father had a fling he was married he had another child uh He also managed to get his wife pregnant at the same time as my biological mother. So I oh have my a half sister who is 10 days younger than me, who, as far as I know, isn't aware that I exist. Wow. And this is this was something I didn't know until um, I was over 18 because at the time the adoption laws were such that you could get non-identifying information and then go on a contact register. Yep. And so I did that and, uh, you know, I was curious. Um, yeah, yeah. I always know I was adopted, grew up with yeah, my yeah. parents. My brother's adopted. Everyone always says, oh, you, you know, biologically related. No, that's the yeah, nature yeah. of adoption. Um, it's, yeah, yeah. Born in a separate part of New South Wales and uh, yeah. we're not biologically related, but we're extremely close. He's so your brother in every other way. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that set up... Um, helped me understand that your families aren't necessarily made by mm-hmm. blood and, and relationships yep. can be very close without having a blood relationship and or blood connection rather and that there are other other narratives that can happen. So my mm-hmm. story could have been completely different. So I if, think about that too sometimes, yeah. Yeah, so let's hear your story. No, well, I just want to ask you say, so you cannot, like this sibling that you've got, the half-sibling, that because of the time when you were adopted you, like, 
can't really do anything. You can. Or you oh can no, I I know I know who she is. Um, and go and, you're not going to go and tell her, or no, I've had people say to me, and he, she's so she's got a brother as well. Yeah. Um, so there were two of them, and my biological mother has a daughter who was born quite a few years after me, and I I have met her. Uh, yep. But I've had quite a few people say to me, "Oh, why don't you just go on one of those ancestry DNA yeah. websites and 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 see if you can you know make a connection that way or find out other relatives?" And I said, "Actually, the half siblings in particular are the reason why I don't do it because if they don't know I exist, mm. and suddenly you know, they're on there, and suddenly it turns out that they've got they a, quite a shock a sibling. It's like that's it's not my place to tell them that story." Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Hmm. You know, like I, I, I ethically, I have an issue with that. Actually, that's so interesting because, um, I was seventeen, so I'll start yet. Yeah, like, that's interesting because I do think it's a very com- these secrets coming out, and you know they often come out in fiction, and you know you see how they can, like, just completely change people's lives for the better, but also for the worse. Um, I should also say so before I tell you my story, my husband. Um, doesn't has never met his da- real dad. Well, he has in theory because his dad left when he was two. Right. But his mum had him when she was seventeen. His dad was nineteen. Right. And they got married, but then because that's what you were. He's <laughs> nine years older. Even probably the time when I was born, that would have been, you know, um. But it was like you have to get married. You're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Probably either you adopt the baby out, like happened to you, or. You, you, you get married and obviously if you're already married to someone else, it's a bit tricky. But <laughs> <laughs> they were young and they were forced to get married basically and it didn't work out. But he has never wanted to meet his real dad. Um, he did recently find half-siblings through a whole weird thing, but he never had that burning passion to know. Whereas- Nor did my brother, I've got to say. I think the, yeah. the boys are different. My brother has always been quite firm about it, not interested. Yeah, yeah interesting. Nothing to do with him. That is so fascinating um, because so I always wanted to know. So like you, I always knew my situation well, as long as I can remember. Um, you know, obviously we, when I, I don't remember a conversation being told. So basically my mum, she was 35 when she had me. She'd been in an on-again, off-again affair slash type relationship. My dad was kind of in, he was in a reasonably unhappy marriage and, um they broke up, sort of separate a little bit here and there. He said he was, you know, the simple story, he said he was going to leave and, you know, she was in love. And it's just, I think that one of the things that I think is interesting about affairs is, yeah, it's not black and white. Like it's easy to look on and say, well, he was married, you know, mm. you knew that. <laughs> but I guess when it comes to passions of the heart and love, you know, sometimes it's so strong that it it overrides our ethical or moral you know, values. Um, so anyway, they were in an again, off again relationship for quite a few years. Um, and then my mum got pregnant with me and she was 35. She'd all that back then, you know, that was considered and well, it's still considered geriatric. <laughs> but it was really like considered quite old to have a baby. Um, and so she sort of knew then she she'd been divorced in her early twenties kind of thing and and you know, never found anyone else. Um, apart from him and and she knew then kind of it was her chance if she didn't take this um, then she might never have the child that she desperately or the children that she wanted so she decided she would she told my dad about the pregnancy she said she's she's having me you know whether he wants to be involved or not and she totally was fine if he didn't want to be involved 
and he was obviously back with his wife or something at this stage and he has four um four uh I four other daughters and one son so my youngest half sister is 11 years older than me so they were you know he had teenage kids basically at that 11 to 19 at that stage um so yeah he decided to bow out she decided to lean in and he never paid one you know anything to do with child support or anything she never asked for a thing from him apparently he saw me when I was four months old um he came to visit one time and that was all he didn't even hold touch me or pick me up or anything he just sort of looked at the cot and that was the last time they you know saw each other for quite a long time um and then my mum moved to Australia so I was born in England but my mum's brother had moved to Australia and like you guys she's quite close to him and I think one of the reasons she moved to Australia was because he was there but also she wanted she said she never wanted my dad to be in and out of my life how he was in and out of hers like she was a you know a grown woman who could make her own choices and deal with the the heartbreak and the emotion of, you know, someone who's going back and forth, but she didn't think that was fair on me. So she was like, you can make your decision. You're either in and we tell everyone and, you know, however you're in or you're out. And so we moving to Australia was kind of that, you know, especially in the, you know, early, early eighties, mm. you know, you don't, you can't just jot back and forth. There was no, you know, so it's, it was kind of a big, that mm. was, um, but I, so I always knew that I had a dad somewhere. I also always knew that I had five siblings, half siblings somewhere. And I remember as a child, I'd always be like, so I, I didn't love being an only child. Like I had a great childhood. My mum was fabulous and all that, but I had friends with siblings, you know, and I was just sort of jealous of that, even though they were jealous, I think of, of me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so I'd always imagined my older sisters, particularly and so I would, even though I knew that they were probably likely still in England, you know, I was always on the lookout sort of on the street, Does that person look a bit like me or, and you know, there was no DNA or anything testing and stuff. So I never thought about that. But when I got to, so I always wanted to find out, but mum sort of was like, well, we can't do anything to you. You're an adult. This is why I think it's very interesting that you were like, oh, it's not my place. And probably it was, but I was kind of young and I was like, and whether I, do I regret knowing or finding out? Um, sorry, this is a bit of a story. I don't know. No, um, I think that we're here for stories, right? Yeah. But so at like 17, the last year of tw- years 12, I was like, I really want to find my siblings. I was more interested in my siblings knowing than my dad. Like mm-hmm. I kind of had this thing. I always said when I was growing up, you don't miss what you don't have, which is weird because I didn't, and that was what I was referring to my, as my dad. Like mm-hmm. I never felt like I was lacking not having a dad. I had a really close grandfather around and my mum was great, you know, so that didn't bother me. Um, and I never had like a breakup of parents that would have, you know, mm. you know, so that was all fine. But I really did long for siblings. So I really wanted them to know. I didn't know if they did know anything by this stage. You know, we had no idea in those sort of 18 years what had happened. And back then, yeah, you didn't have the internet. <laughs> so it was like we went, I remember we went to the state library. My mum was like always, okay, I'll help you once you get to 18 kind of thing mm-hmm. but until then no so we went to the state library and we back then the state libraries I mean they may still I don't know, um had all, we all on the internet now the state libraries had all the white pages from all around the world yeah. like you know what I mean so we found the one for the northern part of England and we looked it up and there his address and right. um, stuff was so I, I sent a letter saying that basically I was going to come to England and I really wanted his family to know. 
Um, he's still married to his wife. And so, yeah, they all found out when I was 18. Um, and I think he sort of felt relieved actually, because he'd lived this whole life with this big secret. Um, but, and his oldest daughter, who was 19 when I was born. So, but you know, she was almost 40 when we met, um, she kind of, they all think she had suspicions. Like I've heard how they all found out and the different reactions they had. My brother was stoked. He was like, great, another sister. He um, is a bikey and his sister, you know, wasn't worried about any of, he was like, this is, this is the best news. Um, Two of the sisters, my oldest and one second youngest were pretty stoked and they were happy to meet me and stuff. I think they were the least, they're close to their mum, but they were like the more, you know, they were more close to their dad than the other summer kind of thing. And so they were okay with it. Two of the youngest was not okay with it. Um, so, yeah, it was very different reactions. And I sometimes think, yeah, you know, would it have been better to have just stayed secret? I mean, my dad's dead now. His wife is still alive. Uh, well, my older sister is also dead, sadly. Um mm. Would it have been better to, and I met them all the year I was 18, even the ones that weren't 100%, you know, mm. happy about it. And I stayed in contact with three of them quite a lot. And I'm still in contact with my brother and the half-sister who um, was close. But, um, yeah, like I think, oh, would it have been better? And like, what, what did it add to my life? Really, you know, we were so far apart. Did it cause ups, upset, you know, to his wife and some of his kids, although I think his wife, you know, had her suspicions kind of as well. Um, but then at the same time, I feel like they also have a right to know, like my brother was stoked to have somebody else. And it's funny, my sister, half sister, who I, I am still kind of in contact with mostly through Facebook. She actually rang me a couple of months ago and it was like 5am my time. I was like, what the hell? What's, you know, because it was, I thought, this is bizarre. To be honest, this is terrible. Hopefully none of them listen to this. I was like, someone must have died, you know, like it, it literally. Which is first thought at a 5am phone call, right? Yeah. And the fact that we never really talk to each other, it's just so I'm thinking, and I was like, I'm too tired to deal with this. I can't, like, I, I, I don't even really care. That sounds horrible because I'm not close, you know, like what I mean? Like I don't know them, know them. And so it's not that I don't care, but I'm not going to be devastated you know what I mean that's just the way it is um so I was like I can't deal with this so I just let it go and then she starts ringing again and I was like half a little bit more awake now and I thought better answer it so I answer it in the dark like of the FaceTime and it's her she's completely drunk (laughs) and she was with um our cousin and she just literally told her cousin who is like so she's 13 years older than me so that means she's just turned 60 I think or maybe a little older um and and he's you know a couple of years younger than her and it was the first time he'd ever heard this story you know as a cousin and he was like stoked you know it's like oh I want to meet you and all this different stuff so people do respond very differently um but but yeah I always think actually it would have been better it may have life who knows life would have gone hugely different ways but I feel like it would have been better if if they were told right when it happened you know what I mean? Because it's, yeah, it's, it's a betrayal, but mm. then it's also if you if you hold something for that long, 
then it becomes more than just a sort of betrayal exactly kind of yeah if you know what I mean I can't explain yeah well because I have heard of quite a few people who weren't told they were adopted until they were adults so yeah. Judith Lucy the comedian talks this happened to her in fact she was told by a cousin I think at Christmas oh geez that would be and, well to know that everyone else knows and you yes. don't know exactly. um and I never think that's right because then what you're dealing with, right. yes, is the betrayal of, mm. of being everyone's known and and like and really and they keep there. yeah yeah no that that must be really hard. So I guess in all of these situations, affairs, adoption stuff, everyone has to make a decision at some stage how they're going to play it. Yeah, and you know I think everyone mostly makes the decision. Oh, there's two ways I guess you make a decision. It's either to protect yourself or it's to protect them or it's both. But, you know, you can never know how everyone's going to react and so you just got to do, I guess, what you've got to do at the time or you think's the right thing to do. Yeah, what, I, what you can live with maybe as well. I tend to think the adults in the situations do what suits them mm-hmm. um, and what protects them. Yes. Which even, even though they may be thinking they're doing it or yeah. they like to lie, they might be lying to themselves as well. Yeah. yeah, they're lying to themselves that they're doing the right thing for. <laughs> and I can't, yeah, I can't blame anyone at all. And I, and I have to say, I don't wish my life turned out differently. In, in yeah, either respect. do I. Either do I. So that's what I mean. And, and if different decisions were made, then life could have changed out quite differently. You know, so, but it yeah. does eliminate, I guess, for us as writers as well, the 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 role of secrets and lies. In yeah, yes, yeah. because I am, I am a secret, and I was. Obvious, I was put would have been the subject of a lot of lies. Yeah, yeah, which I was too. I mean, for half, you know, yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, yeah, being being, I always joke, yeah, being someone's dirty little secret kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, which is which is kind of it's it's kind of weird. It's yeah, it's I guess it's uh, there's no such thing as as a normal family framework. I don't think there's no such thing as normal happy, normal sad. And I think so much more is coming out now because of DNA. And because of Facebook and social media, um, my auntie a few years after I found her, my auntie is like, you know, 30 so years older than me. And this is my mum's sister-in-law, so her brother's wife. She found out a few years, um, probably about 10 years after I had all this, you know, everything come out and I'd met them and stuff, that her parents had a child and adopted the child before they got married. So, and they never told them um, that her parents are both dead. And this child who, so there's four, my auntie has three sisters, well, four, including this one, and she's fully, fully their sister. Yeah. But she lived a life, you know, being adopted by another family because the parents had her young and out of wedlock. And they stayed together and then they, you know, but I guess also because of closed adoption and stuff, you know, this is, this is 75, almost 80 years ago when this happened now you know you make that decision you can't you can't change it you can't go oh hang on now we're married now we are we were established and we're in a situation where we could take that child back you can't go and grab a five-year-old from the house they've grown up in so I think there's so many because of society being like dark on um you know babies outside of wedlock obviously there's so many of those types of stories but we're hearing them more or they're being able to be connected more now because you know, and it must be so much harder to hide an affair now or if something like this happens, you know what I mean? Well, a lot of people leave digital footprints yeah. for everything they do, so, yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> I guess, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Le- the secrets are probably harder to, to keep now. 
Which makes yeah. I'm going to ask you a question. I didn't even talk about this before when I interviewed you for the online book club. Maybe I have talked about this with um. No, I did a TikTok or something, and I think you you um talked about it too, like how as contemporary writers, and you are mm-hmm. uh, in an interesting space because you're you're not like really dark, far past historical, are you? You write Recent, from, yes, eighties, nineties, yeah, and stuff, which most of us think this is yesterday, right? When someone talks about the nineties or something, you're like, oh yeah, and then you realize, oh no. It's actually quite a long time ago now. But um, I've always, like, said that writing contemporary fiction is much harder. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek because I know we are. But writing contemporary fiction is harder because we don't have all these things these days that are illicit and taboo, you know. You can have sex out of marriage. You can be a single mum. I'm not saying all this stuff's easy necessarily, but, you know, like, you can be gay. Nobody's going, you know, well, you might it's much more acceptable than it was. You can get married in Australia, you know, if you're gay or a lesbian, you know, that there's so many different things. And there's um, medical advances that like, even when you were at the Fairvale Lady Literary Club, you know, if someone had a serious, a book, if someone had a serious illness, then they might not have survived it, but it might be an illness that now they would survive or they'd be. And there's the whole adoption laws and stuff that you spoke about that have changed yeah. so much in the last, you know, so I always think um, it's harder because secrets are, you know, the lifeblood of fiction in a way, I feel. You know what I mean? Well, I, I completely agree, which is the, ter- the term secrets and lies is something that I often think about in in plotting or coming up with storylines. Yeah, you've got to have some good secrets and good lies. Yeah. yeah. So And that's they're the engine of of the action often or of, or of the drama at least. It's like what is yes. what's the secret being withheld or what's a lie that's been told. Uh, because people will go to extraordinary lengths to protect them as you and I have experienced in our own lives. Yes, but that's harder these days to find, I think, to make those secrets and lives believable. So you have to, I guess you have to find new ones as well. Like, you know, what what are well, we lying about today? What, what, are we, what are we hiding today? Yeah. People are lying about um, what they really look like because they're putting it on. True. This is a whole lot they're of lying about what they really look like. They're yeah. lying about how happy they are. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. When I say that's a good one, that sounds terribly cynical. No, no, no. Uh, I know what you mean though, you know. <laughs> yeah, but that's you're you're right. People are lying about how happy they are because of this imperative to have, I suppose, the insta ready family yep. life, home life. And what's interesting about TikTok partly as a, a platform is that is the lack of veneer on a lot of things. You can be in your car as a lot of people are on TikTok, yeah, yeah. And, you know, but you wouldn't see it on Instagram. Yeah, that's so true. And you can lie, like, to some extent about who you are on yeah. dating apps and all those sort of things because, you know, you can just what you can make your sort of create who you are. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, lying about how happy we are. That's a really great way to put it. And now I'm yeah. thinking of, of the amount of performance that goes on attached to that on dating apps, for example, or, I guess, on, on various social media platforms and, and whether whether that has fed into why TikTok has exploded because it's seen yeah. as being authentic. Although I, I do think there is crafting that goes There's on. There's a bit of both. There's a bit of both, yeah. is there? Um, we should ask if we have any listeners by this stage or whatever, <laughs> what are, what do they think people are lying about at this, yeah. the, in this era? Because this can help us for fiction, people. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us your lies so we can put them in books. 
um, and also send us your questions. I should say that you know we we are hoping this will be an interactive podcast where writers can send us their writing conundrum, and we'll we'll discuss it and perhaps help them solve it. If you're a reader who is just wanting some agony aunts, we're here because yes. we solve a lot of problems for our characters. Yeah, true. Happy to solve yours too if we can. Or if there's something about the book industry you are, um, you know, not sure about or you're curious about, between us, we might be able to answer it since we've yeah. both been in different types of, well, I think between us, we've been uh, writers, editors, agents, worked in bookshops, worked in libraries. <laughs> yeah. We may be able to help. <laughs> yes, we may well be able to help. So um, uh, I will put a, an email address, which will probably be, be mine in the show notes. But also I think when you and I are posting on social media, yeah. if people want to just comment, we can collect things from there. And uh, hopefully we get some questions. Otherwise, you and I will just keep talking to each other. Yeah. There will no doubt be things to discuss. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk because I want to know, you said that your affair just before we started, well, not your affair. Oh, I don't know. The affair that resulted in me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a different story. I'm not saying Sophie's had an affair, people. Just, I don't know. I don't know either way, but let's just, let's just put that out there. I, I'm not, I'm not referring to an affair that Sophie has had. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was meaning that she, like me, being the child of the affair, you said that being raised like, or like being that born from into that situation has affected your writing. Um well, in that, uh, in that, it's it probably fired my imagination. I was writing a lot of stories as a kid, but uh, I guess being a, more being adopted was was yep. was something that that made me aware from a really young age that there were other potential storylines for me that did not happen. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes I would wonder about my brother's family, although he doesn't. So I don't, yeah, don't speak yeah, too yeah, much yeah. on it. But um, just that idea that that there are all these parallel narratives that could be existing and and there are theories of time of course that say that in, that there are parallel dimensions of time yeah, yeah i love that they're fascinating so <laughs> it's like well there's a different version of my life that that runs in that i didn't yeah. meet my parents i didn't meet my brother it's it was an accident of of the state government's list yeah. making that I ended up in the family I'm in, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Did you, um, I thought I was going to say then something about, no, lost it. <laughs> Interestingly, I will say when I, um, when my parents went to uh, apply for adoption, they were told that if they wanted a blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby, it would take longer. Wow. <laughs> Nobody gives up blonde-haired, ba- blue-eyed babies. Oh, my gosh. No, my mother's blue-eyed. I think that maybe that was partly oh, why they were saying if they wanted to have one that looked a bit more yeah. like them or something. Okay, that's slightly. I was going to say, have you ever worried, or has your brother probably not, that you might meet someone? Like, what if you met your real brother like, and didn't know you were together? <laughs> like, well, no, I know, his, I know their names. Okay. So I, yeah, okay, I know so their names. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I think that's yeah, one so of I, the I had been in communication with bio dad for a while via letter and okay. his return address was the family home and, and I knew he was still married. Okay. So I presumed his wife knew yeah. and uh, he has since died. And out of curiosity, uh, again, with the secrets and lies, out of curiosity, I um, I just Googled to see. because hey, we can do that now. <laughs> somewhat well known in his local community and, uh, which I won't, and I won't say where that is, but yeah. the stuff that was in the local paper was all about what a fine upstanding citizen he was and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, paragon of virtue, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I said to my mum, "He got away with it." He yeah, got away with it. hilarious. So yeah, you're not worried about running into, you know, one of no. them falling madly in love, you know, and then realizing, <laughs> whoops. Um, no, and as someone who used to watch um, reruns of the TV series Sons and Daughters, yeah. that was. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it was occasionally on my mind, but no, no. Um, yeah, yeah. No, what happened? Uh, oh, so funny. I also think, I mean, because um, I also do think, because my husband has uh, four half siblings. His dad was a bit of a, like, he had him, and then he married, I don't know if he married someone, and then he had uh, another child and then left. Right. <laughs> then he had two more. And, you know, I don't know if he stayed with their parent, mum or whatever, but there's, sorry, there's three. So my husband has three siblings and I have well, three half siblings. I have four, five half siblings and they've all had kids. Like actually all of, apart from my brother, um, actually, no, sorry, two of mine haven't, but all of Craig's have, all of mine have. And I sometimes think about, well, the world is weirdly, as I have three kids. What if they like met up, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a bit of a worry, um, but yeah, I I think that's interesting. Like all the how how the, everything that happens in your life, I guess, does shape your writing in in some way. Um, I would actually say I think I mentioned before it shaped my reading a bit as well. Like I think every reader takes into each book you read. Like we take our own personal experiences, mm-hmm. right? I guess the same as writing. Um, and like sometimes the emotions at the time, you might not like something, but if you read it a couple of you know, months later in your different headspace, maybe you would. But I find that books about affairs, I'm very, a bit more judgmental on. I often, I have to really, really believe the affair because I, so I met my dad when I was 18, obviously. Um, and my mum and him briefly saw each other, like as swapping me over. Kind of, <laughs> that's right. the only custody exchange they've ever had. Because, <laughs> you know, I was 18 in a foreign place. Mum came with me and she sort of just delivered me to meet him in a pub. And then she went away because she's like, you know, I'm, I don't need to be here and it's my time to sort of. But you could just see in that brief exchange how much love they actually had for each other. And I think it's really tragic to me. Like it's clear when talking to my mum that he was the great love of her life. And when talking to him for that, you, you know, I can say that she was a great love of his life too. And I it's so sad. It's really, it is sad. And it just shows that life, um, you know, so I know that their affair, as I said earlier in the day, earlier, um, wasn't just, uh, you know, one late night fumble in a pub and they accidentally, you know, they got a bit overheated or whatever and decided to, and then, you know, it was a real connection on multiple levels that I think it was clear from speaking to him and even from speaking to some of my siblings that he didn't doesn't have that with his wife or he didn't have that with his wife you know they were there they were both Catholics you got married you stayed married kind of thing and so it's a whole thing but you said like different situations in life if you've met a different time or whatever um and I suppose it's part of me thinks because my mum's not with anyone now and she never really has been you know since um and she's quite happy in that way you know like she's I always joke that um, my mother-in-law and my mother, are, you know, they were like, they, I, I understand, you know, if, if I ever, my husband died or he left, I would be quite happy being by myself, you know what I mean? And they're very much like that, you know, they've got, but I also think that she had that great love and it didn't work, you know, kind of thing. And that makes me very more critical of reading um, affairs in books because mm-hmm. I have to really believe it because I do think, Having an affair is risky. You can sacrifice, as we both said, you, you can sacrifice a lot of things. You know, your dad could have lost his two other children and, you know, there's a lot at risk. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't like reading in books when it just doesn't seem really th- like yeah, it's hard to explain. Like if I don't buy that they're, they're you know, prepared to risk everything, if they're yeah. just doing it and I think you've got a lot to risk 
you wouldn't risk all that, you know, for this Mistakes need to be appropriate. Yeah, I because I don't buy the connection between them and I think, no, you wouldn't do that because you actually care about these other people. So I have to, I think it has to be a really strong, I guess it's the same in all relationships in fiction, though I have to buy, um, you know, really believe that these people, whether they're friends or romantic interests, like actually I have to believe in that connection for me to, to buy the story. <laughs> yeah, which I think... We can see in your writing because there is so much, always so much heart and authenticity in the connections between Thank people. You. So that's come through in everything you write, and and arguably that wouldn't be there without that's without, true. Like the show, you, your background, yeah. yeah. Everything shapes us, doesn't it, to where we are today? I'm trying to think because I have read all your fiction novels. I think because I know I'm just thinking. Have you written, and this is because I might know about you, but I basically forget a book as soon as I've read oh, it. absolutely, yes, go on. Even if I absolutely love it. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, I really like this book, but I couldn't tell you the names of the character. Have you written about an affair? Um, Yes, oh, not as a central storyline, but I've had so references. Like as a, so in yeah. Fairvale, one of the characters, it was it was a, it was a backstory thing. She'd had an affair. Um, yeah, they have this. But, again, I'm, I'm not seeing going, do you know? What am I? Yeah, I'm thinking the same. Like I, a lot of books I read, I find there's a che- like I, I love Ellen Hildebrand. Pretty much all her books have some sort of cheating in it. Right. Again, secrets and lies being the engine of fiction. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and often that's a. I guess that's the certain big things in fiction that just come up lots because they are like some of the big secrets and lies that we deal with in everyday life. I guess, but I think I've done like you, sort of a, a not a subplot probably, but. But I've never actually written a book. Like people hear my story and they're like, oh, my gosh. you sh-. And that was what I told you was kind of small in terms of the blow up or happened, you know, when when everyone found out and there's five people apart from, I never met his wife, but there's five siblings, they all reacted very, very differently and they all had things going on in their lives at the time, um, which I won't say because it's not my place and you know, it could be, you know, but it was like this big drama like tv show where you know i mean every single one of them i could say one was getting married you know so that was all you know but there's there was illnesses there was addictions there was divorce you know all that there was everyone seemed to have something really big going on at the time they find out they found out about me mm-hmm. um, and i just think when people, when people hear that whole story they're like oh my gosh you should write about that And I have never managed to write about, like I've never thought how I would write that story. So, yeah, I was just curious, like have you written bits of your past into stuff? Not well. I've uh, I've written only written written the occasional thing about my personal story because I was very sick 12 years ago and I did put um, a very dramatic part of that in Shelley Bay towards the end. Um, But I haven't, I've I've had references to adoption in Fairvale. There was uh, a a child who was going to be adopted towards the end of that, but I haven't written an adoption storyline either. So funny. Maybe we don't need to. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Speaking of, I'm writing it, not next, but the next book, because I've sort of got two contracts and I kind of know what they are. Um, So the next women's fiction book is about two women who approach in their 50s and they adopted their twins right. um so yeah i might have to pick your brains on absolutely <laughs> you can always do it we can always do it via a podcast rachel if you wanted yeah. to <laughs> yeah we do a brainstorm podcast brainstorm research yeah. Yeah. but i guess isn't that that and that's interesting that neither one of us has actually explored yeah, 
the quite unusual aspects of how I'm coming mm-hmm. into being through fiction. Um, but I do think for me, writing about friendships between women and those being very close, I've certainly seen that in my mother's life with her friends, but also that understanding, as I said, that a blood relationship is not necessarily the determinant of close. Oh, so true. Yeah. I mean, I'm as, I know, but yeah, I'm as close. I would say my cousins are closer to me. You know, they're, they're almost like siblings to me, even though we grew up together when we were little and my mum first moved out here, but then we had quite a few years apart. But as adults, we've all become, you know, quite close. Um, so, yeah, it's all the different. And then friends, of course. The other day um, a friend, well, sorry, Anthea, my friend, um, and I were doing an event and we were the one to do the podcast together. So we do a lot of, you know, things together. And someone in the audience said to her, oh, you two are like sisters. And, um, yeah, so it's, I'm not going to say what she said back <laughs> to get her in trouble, but, um, but like, it shows that, yeah, you can get these really, you know, special bonds with different people and you never know when they're going to come up and it doesn't have to be about blood. Yeah. No, I mean, my brother and I can have whole conversations yeah. without saying a word. Like we can sit yeah, across yeah. The and just, can just basically converse with our he said, Is he younger or older than you? He's two years younger. And so for me, like when he arrived, I can still remember going to Guinea. He was born in in, um, in, in a place in northern New South Wales. It was very yep. cold. I can still remember you know, wearing my favourite dress. You're so excited. And there are photos of it, so it's it's definitely a memory. It's not like I've seen wow. it. That's and, amazing. And I bet my mother was very smart because she made me think that he was mine to look yeah. after. So I was quite convinced that I was dressing this child, I was feeding this child. <laughs> I was doing everything for this child so I couldn't quite understand what she was doing and I also especially couldn't understand why he seemed to like her so much since I was the one in charge I was actually jealous of my mother not of the baby that is so funny but yeah interesting because obviously she wanted you to have that really close bond and um yeah well she's a she's a pediatric nurse um yeah yeah she had been and so I think she was just really used to how to how to get children to get along yeah yeah, yeah. And he's always he had always felt like like my particular not project <laughs> but he was mine he was all mine. yeah 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 oh that's so gorgeous yeah. <laughs> I love it so yeah we're still close and we also have um I think having that structure enabled us to open our hearts really to someone else who I consider now my youngest brother, who's quite yep. a few years younger. My mother looked after him when he was a baby and a little boy. His mother's yep. a sole parent. And uh, and so they, they've become part of the family. And yep. I realised at a certain point I was going to have to come up with a way to introduce him to people. And I just <laughs> It makes sense to just call you my littlest brother, even though he's like six foot tall. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he looked delighted. And so oh, I thought, okay, so well, lovely. I've got another brother. Yeah, oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so I'm pretty I'm pretty lucky with the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, that's gorgeous. <laughs> so um, what? So writing wise, what are you up to? You said you've got two looming. Yeah, well, at the moment, I'm. It's funny. I don't know about you, but so I put to bed a week or so ago. Just just basically the same week that my book came out, the other Bridget, I finished writing the first draft, which then said to my publisher of the book comes out at the end of this year. But now I'm kind of gearing up to because that's going to be away for a few weeks with edits, and I've got quite a. I do have quite a tight deadline schedule. I don't necessarily have to stick with it if you know, but I'm starting to you know aim towards hopefully having um, a book out at the beginning of next year like this one. So I've got to really get onto that, um, and that's what's contracted. But so I've written a chapter of that, and so now I'm sort of 
this morning I just sort of and I, I start thinking I don't know do you like now I'm ready oh that my brain is cleared of the other things it's um so I just various things sort of come into my head and I was like oh we'll just write that down because that so I'm kind of in that just thinking about the book ready to start writing after I get back I don't know about you but I can't I don't know how you do this actually you probably can because I know you write on your commute is that right yeah from yes, work mostly yeah and like you have a full-time job because I find so I've the last week or so of just talking about to people and you know doing book events and traveling and stuff I hear other people who are like that they would write in the evening in hotels or they'll get up early and and continue to write I don't know if it's just a mental thing or whatever and I'm just lazy but I find there's no way I can write while I'm in promotional period oh yeah uh, Rachel you're definitely lazy I was just saying to someone the other day <laughs> Rachel John she's like the laziest author in Australia um but I think it makes sense because you're talking particularly when you're doing publicity you're talking so much about the storyline of the yeah. other way you're in a different very hard to think about creating a new storyline or continuing yeah. one that you started because it's, and they're different rhythms I often think about it in terms of rhythm so yeah. writing rhythm is great there's a certain flow to it rewriting rhythm I find harder because it's more staccato yeah like this thing where I'm trying to get into it so if I have to write new chapters when I'm redrafting that's the best part because then they flow oh really I hate writing new chapters after I've um (laughs) yeah I don't know I feel like uh yeah so that's interesting but it's true it's different yeah you're right I like that rhythms because yeah I kind of know and and you're right like I don't there's no point like just rushing and churning, you know, I think we need that rest as well between, you know, for me, I need sort of a bit of rest between books and I don't always have much because of being, but I know that it's important that time just to, to read. I'm reading a book about an affair <laughs> to think, you know, just to experience life and, and sort of, so I'm now yeah in that, that thinking period, even though I have a pretty good idea about what's going to happen in this book, it's like the characters said, shape so that's that's where I am and I'll be hopefully starting to write that in about a week but then I'll have to stop for edits for the right. next so what yeah. about you what is, where are you in the, the writing period apart from just well, I'm, a beautiful cover <laughs> yes I've just announced art hour, art hour at the Duchess Hotel and that I've just received a copy edit for it so I, those those came sort of on adjacent days the announcement uh, yeah. of the edit arriving um the copy edit thankfully is light but there's still some things to think about and yeah, yeah. uh I don't tend to extensively revise when I'm copy editing because I like it to come out the way I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, uh, I like copy edits for that that reason. It's kind of like you've done most of the hard work by that stage. It's just kind of. And I also realize how much I edit while I write. I never used to think I did. I used to think used to write and move on until one day I was control zing because I use short keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, so, so I was control that, yeah. zing or command zing if you're on an Apple um a sentence thinking that the, the the thing I'd changed out of that I wanted back was only a couple of keystrokes ago and it was like it 30. wasn't and I was well, going I, I thought oh I hate I that I've done that too. I'm like where is it? Where is it? <laughs> and then I start panicking that I'm changing stuff that I didn't want to change because it's all and <laughs> Which is where control Y comes in. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. No, I'll go back, go back. So yeah. that that was instructive though, because I thought, right, I I didn't realize that I edit as much as I do while I'm writing. Yeah. So I do too. I do edit quite a lot. We should do a whole episode on how we write and edit. <laughs> like I'm writing down these ideas, Rachel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, your cover is beautiful, and I think as an author, one of the most exciting things is and scary before you actually see the cover. Do you have much say in your cover? 
Uh, not really, but which is not a bad thing because I think when Fairvale came out, that set the cover. Yeah, they did such away. a good job with that. So uh, since then, it's basically been just. You've been very well branded. Yeah. Which is, no, it <laughs> sort of sounds weird. Isn't it? Like you're like a cattle if they've branded you. <laughs> but it's very important as an author. Like I think, you know, you from the start had a really clear look, which mm. helps people to know what they're going to get and to recognize you if they even if you know not everyone surprise surprise is on social media and following us you know but then so when they go into the shops I think they immediately will know oh hang on I read a book like that last year and that's that cover and you know it's it's the same but different (laughs) it is and when I put the title on weekends with the sunshine gardening society I had a strong feeling that would be a yellow cover yeah and it was um but that that's part of it as you know that putting a title on is is and conceptualizing how it will be going out to readers is a big Mm -hmm. part of what we do because well at least I think you're like me and that we like to communicate with our readers we're not just writing for our own entertainment yeah we're telling a story to people and we and we start thinking about how that story gets told and right at the start. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Well, so much to talk about. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> for today, um, Olivia, because you, uh, at the time we're talking, are heading out to do some publicity for the other Bridget. So yeah. you might want to power down and rest your voice and maybe read. Yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. That was a fun chat as usual. Was absolutely so. I'm going to stop recording now. This is the official part of the business. I'll stop recording. Rachel and I will continue to chat after we've stopped recording. (laughs) We'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining us on Dear Rachel. So we look forward to your company next time.